couple of paradoxes for you today. Paradox number one, the tree that is wet when it's dry. Number two, the clever idiot tree, if that's not a contradiction in terms. We've come to the city of Cairns in the tropical far north of the state of Queensland in Australia. Our starting point is the Flecker Botanic Gardens, and I'm with Peter Shanahan, uh, looking up through the branches through the leaves of a magnificent tree and through those leaves I can see plenty of blue sky if we stepped out into the open not a chance of rain Peter but under here we might get wet. Entirely possible that's where the name for the rain tree comes from. What happens of course is the tree itself is taking up moisture from the soil but uh, it's what you'd call conserving the water and dropping it very carefully out through the leaves rather than making vapour out of it. The drops then form a curtain of water under the tree itself so you can actually get rain taking place beneath the rain tree. Its scientific name, Samania. Samania Saman. That doesn't give any clues but obviously the, uh, the, the common name does. Just yep. looking down here under our feet at the, the boardwalk, it's pretty dry so conditions not right, it's, it's not something that happens the whole time? Uh, no, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, in fact it's almost impossible to predict when but usually uh, in the period of the dry season, uh, when there's been no rain, you can uh, actually come and find, it looks like there's been shower overnight, and then discover that all the other trees nearby are quite dry, and this is the only one with uh, moisture beneath it. Looking up to the leaves, and we can't easily get hold of one at this, uh, at this ground level, but the leaves, in a sense, probably the, the, the least interesting part of the whole thing. Um, I wouldn't, wouldn't say that. Uh, they belong to the mimosa family, the, uh, the legume family. A legume? Yeah, so this a is a legume. This is Jack and the Beanstalk proportions, yep, yep, isn't it? a very large bean. <laughs> um, the, uh, the leaves themselves are typical of the mimosa family. Uh, they actually go to sleep at night, close up. And uh, very light, very airy, allow a good movement of air through them, which is actually good for the tree because it keeps the top parts dry. Um, the flowers of them, by the way, are actually extremely rich in honey. So you can get some very good honey from them. There's a lot of good products and you can actually even eat the, the seed pods when they're uh, in full maturity. So this would get your vote as a clever tree, not for one reason, uh, that it can produce rain, but because it makes good tucker, the bush honey, and because it can move its leaves, it can fold those up at, uh, at night time, effectively go to sleep. It's a, yep, it's um, a very useful tree. It has a lot of things that going for it. Um, we've got a lot of products from it, but uh, one of my favourite products is the fact that you can grow these beside roads, cover the entire road, have two trees meet in the middle, uh, developing beautiful shady avenues. And unfortunately, uh, it's suffered from that problem because it's one of the most beautiful shady trees you can ever have growing in cities, tropical cities. Problem is somebody invented electricity, decided they had to have wires running down on poles, so the trees had to come down. The wires replaced them and we lost our cool, shady cities in that process. Today, of course, uh, you're not allowed to have trees going across the road because something might fall on the car and you might get sued, which is, which is rather silly of us. Yeah, we've gone backwards, haven't we? We have. It's the humans that are dumb, the trees that are clever. The trees are fine. <laughs> <laughs> what of the science, Peter? Um, you mentioned at the beginning that the majority of trees, if they've got too much moisture, will will uh, effectively sweat, I suppose, if we, if we anthropomorphise a little bit more. But that sweat isn't droplets, it's, it's, it's a vapour. It would be carried away on the breeze. Yet this one, you know, they come down as actual raindrops. There must be big, big well, holes in the leaves or something. Well, every tree uh, throughout the world will take up moisture and respire it into the atmosphere. Now, the moisture, of course, is excess moisture, excess to the needs of the tree. What happens is the vapour comes out, out of the leaves, out of the trunk, out of the branches, 
and goes up into the atmosphere. In fact, that's one of the cooling effects that we notice when forests exist, that you actually get localised rainfall because it cools passing clouds, causing localised rain. Um, in this case, the tree that lives out in drier countries, savannah, uh, edges of rainforest, stuff like that, loving, needing a lot of water, uh, is probably catering to its own survival needs in the fact that uh, rather than respire it straight in the atmosphere, there will be some that's going out as, as um, gases, but in the, the uh, main, what it's doing is cooling it enough that it comes out as drops, forms on it and drops and is recycled back into the soil. So the tree can use, use that to uh, obtain moisture again rather than waste it. It's um, nature being extremely clever in the recycling program. We've got a lot to learn just by observing what's going on around us. We talk about water-wise, gardening and so on. All we need to do is go out and take a look at how the rainforest do it because it lives on what raindrops by nature. And if we can imitate exactly that, we don't have to go out and do any watering ever. But uh, we do have some very silly ideas about gardens. Like I say, clever trees, silly humans. Exactly. It's a recurring theme <laughs> in, this, uh, in this series. Uh, not the only clever tree that you have in the Flacco Botanic Gardens by any stretch, though. No, we have quite a few. Um, the truth is every tree has its story. It's its long tail of evolution, uh, fitting and adapting to changing climates, uh, changing needs. And uh, us humans just keep forgetting that uh, we're only here because of the plants. Well, I'm now driving along National Highway 1, also called the Bruce Highway. It runs some 1,700 kilometres from Cairns in the north to the state capital Brisbane in the south of Queensland. Um, such is the scale of this island continent that that drive would take two or three days to complete. We're not going quite as far as Brisbane. We're on the lookout for a, a tree, another clever tree, uh, one which rather perversely perhaps is called the idiot-proof tree. And to help me look for it is uh, a botanist from James Cook University, Stuart Warboys. Um, will we recognise it at uh, 80 kilometres uh, an hour? No, the tree, the true actual tree we're looking for is uh, not the biggest of um, not the biggest of trees. It, and also it's uh, quite nondescript. Its leaves are large and glossy like so many other trees, species of trees in, the, uh, in these tropical rainforests. And uh, even its flowers, which are the most distinctive feature of this tree, um, you won't see them unless you're quite close to the tree. This is our tree. Spectacularly nondescript. Come all the way to see this. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, um, the tree was first discovered in uh, 1902 by a German botanist by the name of Ludwig Diels. He was here in Australia as part of a botanical exp collecting expedition and he noticed um, some flowers dead on the ground. Uh, collected some specimens, took them back to uh, Berlin with him. So these, these specimens were destroyed in the, in the firebombing of Berlin in 1943, uh, along with thousands of other, thousands of other type specimens. Uh, and it was thought that the species which uh, Ludwig Diels had collected, there was, nothing, there was no record of it, there was nothing left of it. Um, uh, it was thought it was a, a garden escape of this um, North American species. But then in 1971, uh, a cattle farmer in the... Um, in, up in the Daintree, 150 kilometres to the north of where we are here, woke up one morning to find uh, three of his cattle are dead. They were having fits, like epileptic fits, on the ground. Uh, their symptoms were a lot like strychnine poisoning. And when the, uh, when the uh, vet opened up these dead cows, he found the remains of these seeds, enormous seeds, sent them off to the Queensland Herbarium, along with uh, 
uh, some vegetative specimens from a, uh, uh, from a nearby tree and uh, the news he got back from the Queensland herbarium was you've made the botanical discovery of the century. Botanical rediscovery of the botanical, century. Uh, uh, exactly. <laughs> this was the tree that hadn't been seen for 70 years. When I was first looking for these trees, they uh, looked pretty much like the, uh, every other tree in the rainforest. So the only way that I could, uh, the only way that I could identify this species was to actually um, uh, scrape the bark, to scrape the bark, and uh, to actually taste the uh, bark, which is, which is really horribly bitter. And that's the way that uh, uh, I uh, identified whole populations of this tree was uh, tasting the tree. I don't think the, the poison has actually had any long-term effects, but, um, but I'll let you make that judgment. So you're just uh, scraping it with a key and then just sticking your tongue on there. Yep. And Come yep, out. it's really horribly bitter. So um, that's that's the right species. You're not wrong. No, <laughs> that is um, disgusting. I'm sure there's other trees in uh, uh, in this forest which would kill you uh, if you did that. But uh, but this one's just so the fruit um, on something that's edible, like a mango or a lychee or a rambutan, is is there to attract a bird or a human or an animal of some sort that eats the fruit and then disperses the seed. The converse is true with the idiot fruit tree. It doesn't want to be eaten yeah. um, because the fruit is there as a little pack lunch to, to get the, the seedling going. It's chock-a-block full of starch, but it's also chock-a-block full of poison. And that's the poison that killed the, uh, killed the, um, uh, the cows. But it's... It's also uh, it, it's going to repel any uh, any predators which may come along and feed or free, feed from those seedlings. So it's an evolutionary advantage for the tree to have a poisonous fruit. Yeah, uh, the problem, but there's a trade-off there. Uh, the tree wants to disperse its seeds away from its uh, away from the parent, so that the seedlings won't compete with the parent. But it also uh, needs to provide its 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 offspring with a with um. A, with a feed, so these um these seeds they're round, so they will roll some distance. Uh, they even have the potential to uh, lodge amongst stones on the uphill side. So it's it uh, it can survive just by dropping these seeds and uh, letting them roll into the forest. I've seen seeds up to uh, 20 meters away from a parent tree. That's far enough. And they've rolled, they've fallen before they've rolled quite some distance. So they've got a bit of speed up by the time they hit the, the forest floor. Yeah, they've got a corky coating around them. It's not juicy, it, do, it doesn't have any odour, it, uh, it's just uh, quite corky. So there's no nutritional advantage in there for anything that may feed on that, uh, on that seed. It's simply there as a protective, protective coating. Back now at the Flecker Botanic Gardens in Cairns with Peter Shanahan. Um, it strikes me that as humans what we have to do is to try to pay attention to some of the clever tricks that trees play and that in doing so we could possibly learn something from them. We could learn almost everything about survival. Uh, much of our science today even still comes, is still repeated in nature. Um, yeah, for instance, uh, the, many of the colours which attract in pollinators are actually glowing under the light from the sun, under, under the ultraviolet light, which we can't see, we don't have the receptors in our eyes. Birds, wasps, bees, butterflies all have those receptors, and what they're seeing is glowing neon signs, a bit like McDonald's up there saying, fast food here, come and get it. And even <laughs> the flowers come with instructions how to sit down and serve yourself. <laughs> so uh, we're a little bit late 
in learning these tricks. And in evolutionary terms, that's certainly the case. We've been around a lot less time than, uh, than some of these plants, certainly the primitive ones. Primitive, you say, but not we're, primitive. We're only one of the newest mammals on the block. Yeah. <laughs> like you say, a lot to learn. OK, here we are. We're coming up to a, a very large paperback. I've actually seen bigger specimens than this. But this one's estimated to be around 700 years old. You'd encourage people to come up and to, and, and to tear a strip off of this tree. You think it's important that people get, uh, get up close and personal. And, and presumably, when the bark has reached this stage, it's, it's, it's no longer of much use to the tree. This is the dead no, outer layer. But bark is a dead is dead. Yeah. This is like um, a peeling pommy yeah. tourist uh, who spent too much time <laughs> under the harsh Australian sun. It's not that harsh. <laughs> I love it. And, and what is the purpose of the bark peeling? Is this, is this bark, and, and, and let's just get back up to the trunk, it's pretty spongy, it's pretty soft, this outer it's, layer. Is that protecting it against it's, this It's around four to, four to five inches thick. Right. So it's a um, tough outer coat. It's a tough outer coat. Now, what, one, it's got several, several functions. Now, Australia's a land of extremes. We can go through massive rainfall, great floods, wild wet seasons, cyclones, and then we can just switch that total off and go into years of total drought. And Australia's got a reputation for that. These trees here are tough. They've got to survive. The um, extremes of temperature are such that by putting on heavy, thick bark, the tree can actually maintain moisture within its system and not have it evaporate off, a bit like a waxy leaf out in the desert. The other thing, of course, is uh, if we get the other way, when a fire comes through here, um, the outside of the bark will burn, the inside stays fine, there's plenty of moisture going up there because this tree, this tree this size, is known, has been recorded, to be putting into the atmosphere around 10 tonnes of water per day. 10 tonnes? In a good swamp. Yeah. You're joking, 10 tonnes? 10 tonnes. 